Escape from Plan A. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined here today with by Diana. Hey, Diana. Hey, everybody. And returning guest, Kate Zen from Red Canary Song. Hey, Kate. Hey, Chris. Hey, Diana. Thank you so much for having us on. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming back. And and uh, Kevin Way, an activist based out of Harlem. Hey, what's up, Kevin? Hey, everyone. It's Kevin here. Hey, and I want to give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves to our audience. But uh, before we do, just want to give everyone a little snippet of what this episode is about. In a couple of days, there will be elections in some uh, state uh, offices. And one of our one of our friends who's been on our pod a few times, Ron Kim, is up for election. And there's been some things going on. Uh, by his opponent, and our guests today are here to shed more light on that. But before we get on that, I want to hear from our guests, give you guys a chance to introduce yourself. So Kate, why don't we start with you? Hey, I'm Kate Zen, um, and I'm an organizer uh, for various immigrant rights uh, groups. I I guess I started um, from when I was 15 years old with my mother, who is a garment worker. Um, And in the past, I've worked with the Street Vendor Project, organizing with Chinese uh, art street vendors in Times Square, um, and also worked with domestic workers um, at National Domestic Workers Alliance. Um, And the cause that is closest to my heart is um, with migrant sex workers. I'm one of the co-founders of Red Canary Song, which is based in Flushing. And um, we work with a group of uh, migrant massage parlor workers um, in Flushing. Yeah. uh, uh, Thanks for all your hard work. And I mean, we'll include links to your website and everything in the show notes. Uh, And Kevin, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, Hey, everyone. I'm Kevin. I'm an advocate and activist based out of Harlem. Um, My passion lies mostly in education technology policy, but I also do some political work, um, which is why I'm such a strong supporter of of Assemblymember Ron Kin. Um, and super excited to be here to talk to all of you today. And yeah, to both of you, thank you so much for, for coming on our pod. So, so let's get right to it, especially since the election is only a couple of days away. So for people who uh, aren't that familiar, could you, could you uh, one of you give us a background of, of what's been going on? Like who is Ron Kim, who is, who is Stephen Lee, et cetera? Uh, Yeah, so Ron Kim is the state assembly member of District 40, which is Flushing um, in Queens, Eastern Queens. Um, It also includes Whitestone, the suburban area outside of Flushing. Um, This district is 65% uh, Asian, um, mainly immigrant, um, mainly Chinese and Korean. So there is a lot of underrepresentation of the voices of people who may not have the same access to voting, uh, whether for political or like language access reasons, and so often is undercounted and marginalized in state policy. Uh, Ron has always fought really hard to get um, some of those issues to the forefront so that the community is not ignored. Um, this is an, a, a this is a primary election happening on June twenty third, which is next Tuesday. Um, and his opponent, Steve Lee, uh, is a police officer um, who has most of his life been Republican, but is now a Democratic candidate um, being put forward uh, with funding from uh, luxury real estate interests. I see. I see. Uh, Ke- Kevin, do you have anything to add to that? 
Yeah, I think um, there's some important context, which is just that Assemblymember Ron Kim has been a very, very strong advocate for uh, progressive causes, um, for racial minorities, for the economic disadvantaged, um, and that he's pretty widely popular even outside of his district. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And also, just like, I mean... We've met him a couple of times, uh, people at uh, Escape from Planet A, just an all-around good dude. Uh, so that, I, I think, yeah, you, you just you can tell things when, when you just meet people. All right, so... All right, well, uh, so- I'd also like to add that um, we, we asked him to be on based on, you know, just like following his social media presence. It wasn't like he approached us to do any of the, uh, you know, content that we put out with Ron, so... It was like a, it was a very policy first uh, <laughs> interaction. Uh, so Kevin, you have uh, tweeted out a bunch of things, uh, you know, kind of like shady campaigning, uh, all this kind of stuff that's been happening lately. Uh, could you just shed more light on on what exactly has been happening? Yeah. Um, so I think we, uh, or at least I was first exposed to Steve Lee um, through some of the activities that happened over the past couple weeks where Steve and some of his supporters have been organizing um, these quote-unquote Asians for Black Lives marches um, where they would go out and basically hold rallies um, sort of, you know, in Manhattan and, you know, promote the campaign and, 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 um, there were just some very shady things happening with that where they weren't centering black voices and um, they were maybe a little too political, uh, in my opinion, um, instead of focusing on on the harm and impact that's been done to the black community that's been the subject of recent protests. Uh, and that really led me to look much, much more deeply into Steve's campaign and what has been happening with Steve's campaign, which sort of just opened a whole can of worms with uh, his campaign finance disclosures, um, his relationships with the local media and press and the real estate industry, uh, and some of the communications that he's been putting out, which have been very misleading and and very negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say that the Asians for Black Lives uh, seemed too political and didn't center Black Lives, uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, so I mean, of course, to some extent, you know, all of our protests are political. Um, but I think what I've heard from firsthand witnesses is that you know, at the Asians for Black Lives protests, um, they didn't really talk about police brutality or about uh, prison brutality or prison abolition or defunding NYPD, um, but rather they were seemed much more focused on promoting Steve. Um, and, you know, the event seemed a little more self-promotional than, than would have been appropriate otherwise. I see. And, and you said he is a former cop? He's a current cop, actually. Oh, okay, okay. So he's a current cop. So he was, was he like, posing himself as like a reformed cop or like a you know crusader from the inside cop like what was what was his angle uh he portrays himself as a whistleblower on the nypd and he has uh sued the nypd um for he participated um in disclosing some of the uh behaviors of his own unit, um, soliciting bribes from karaoke bars, being involved in uh, prostitution and also drug dealing. Um, So his unit has done a lot of bad things in the 109th precinct. And um, he has also himself faced several disciplinary um, 
actions uh, due to uh, a record of domestic violence and other things that he's done within the NYPD. And so um, the press um, that he has gotten at the Queen's Daily Eagle, uh, which is uh, also the publication where he has a paid political consultant um, working as the publisher, Michael Nussbaum, um, seems to have spun his uh, record and, and who he is as a person. Um, as somebody who is, you know, this whistleblower on the police, who's trying to fight police corruption. Uh, and yet our contacts um, from people who have who know Steve Lee and know the way that he has behaved um, in the last years on, on the job, um, portray him very differently. He's someone who has consistently been um, violent and also been someone who has harassed sex workers and participated in the very types of um, corrupt behaviors um, that he's accusing the rest of his unit of doing. So it's a very uh, shady story that Steve Lee is on one hand, you know, bringing to light and we're as Red Canary, um, our group is in some ways uh, thankful that he's doing that because we've been talking about this forever. We've been, you know, calling out the cops. We've been saying that they're stealing money from sex workers, This, you know, and to actually have a cop go forward and um, bring all this evidence to light uh, is great. I think we are, we are supportive of that. Um, but on the other hand, Steve Lee is also someone who believes that there needs to be a cleaning up of Flushing, as he has sent out in, in, in his mailings to residents throughout Flushing. He thinks that there needs to be elimination of prostitution through more policing. And he knows exactly how corrupt and violent that policing is, these sort of cleanup raids. He's participated in them himself. He knows the kinds of extortion that goes on um, and how sex workers are actually harmed um, in all of these very violent um, attempts to quote unquote clean up the community. And so for him to continually promote that, um, we think is like extremely irresponsible for him to even remain in the police force um, after having done all of these things and having, you know, he's quoted in a Queen's Daily article saying you can't have cops watching cops because the corruption goes so deep. And yet, you know, he's chosen to stay a cop. And so we disagree with his actions. And, you know, we also are very doubtful of his character and his history. Yeah, just right. the fact that he's a whistleblower and he's stayed a cop makes me uh, question, you know, like the significance of what he's, you know, uh, what he's saying is corruption. Because it's like if you're if you're doing that, like you, you're a lot of times your life would be in danger, you know, if it was something really important to uh, to come, you know, like bring to the public attention about so just the fact that he's still there and he is confident enough to just remain there and also run for public office is like a really weird situation to me mm -hmm. yeah you said he also wasn't a democrat until recently so kevin has uh more information on his voting records he's had like two general elections that he voted on in like 2009 and 2019, but he's never voted for a Democratic primary. And I believe this, he's always been a registered Republican. Don't know when he has registered to be a Democrat. Um, but Kevin also knows about his advisement from uh, for his campaign uh, with other sort of Republican consultants. Kevin, yeah, can you speak I, more on that? Yeah. So, so I just received the, the FOIA request from the state of New York 
um, earlier this morning uh, containing Steve Lee's voting record and and voter registration information. Um, so it looks like Steve has been registered as a voter for about two decades, more than two decades, but has only voted in general elections and apparently in this year's special election in March, which was canceled. Um, but he's never voted in, in a Democratic primary. Uh, as far as I know, he's only recently become a registered Democrat. Um, he's also hired, uh, I believe, Skyline Consulting, um, which is a firm that works almost exclusively for Republicans, um, plus Steve Lee. Uh, and some of their clients include Republican state senators and state assembly people in New York. Um, and it, just in general, it would be very odd for a consulting firm um, to that works almost exclusively with candidates of one party to abruptly work for uh, a candidate of the other party. Um, and in this case, you know, seeing that Steve has hired uh, this particular firm, you know, makes me question what his values really are. Yeah. I mean, what is this like a rat fucking operation? Is, is he... Like you said that there were some business interests behind his campaign, right? Are they like trying to mess up with the Democratic primaries or like what is going on here, do you think? So there definitely are business interests that are backing Steve Lee. Um, I think the most prominent is the Rent Stabilization Association or RSA, um, which is an association, I believe, of landlords in New York City um, who have been very vocal challenging last year's rent laws and called them a violation of the United States Constitution. Um, and they have supported development projects that would be harmful to, you know, communities in Flushing and communities in um, District 40, which is, you know, Ron Kim's district that Steve Lee is running in. Um, so RSA has contributed $4,700, which is the maximum, um, to Steve Lee's campaign, and also another $10,000 to... Uh, Asians in America, which is what Steve is calling his quote-unquote nonprofit organization that has been organizing these Asians for Black Lives uh, protests. So um, in total, you know, you have this one organization that represents landlords uh, that has contributed, you know, 14000 over $14,000 to his campaign. And then you have executives from construction companies um, and real estate developers uh, and, you know, other similar interests who are also contributing to his campaign as well. Right. And so, so what's like Ron's positions on these issues? And I mean, I, I think we can all assume why these uh, companies would be against them. I think we can just deduce what his positions would be. But uh, could you expound a little more on his official stance and why they would be so eager to, to run a guy uh, against him? Yeah. So Ron came forward, uh, you know, at the request of many community organizations, uh, Minquan, um, Red Canary, uh, Flushing Worker Center, Chaya. Um, these are all, you know, community orgs representing some of the low income immigrants in his community. We came forward to Ron asking him to please um, support us in fighting gentrification. Um, so this coalition, uh, Fed Up, uh, as well as the Flushing Anti-Displacement um, Alliance, uh, you know, we spoke at the Community Board 7 meeting um, with a representative from Ron Kim's office, his legislative director, also speaking up against the impact uh, that these luxury waterfront developments will have on most immigrants in the community who are already being pushed out due to the high prices uh, of gentrification. Um, and so Ron was actually the only elected official in his district that uh, decided to take a stance against uh, the development. Um, and so, you know, he was instantly um, seen as like an enemy by the real estate interests that have a lot of uh, influence in the local politics. 
of flushing. And uh, you also said there's been some like racist campaigning against uh, Ron Kim. I mean, there's, there's like two Asians running here, but you know that doesn't mean they can't be racist to each other. Like, like what what the hell is this about? So, um, in his campaign, and there's some like messages between um, like a real estate developer and people working for his campaign. They've uh, put out like a cartoon of Ron Kim as Kim Jong Un um, with just really nasty language. Um, And, uh, you know, in that exchange, they were saying, oh, set up some, you know, fake Twitter accounts so you can go and promote this. Um, And of course, you know, in the following days, we saw a bunch of fake Twitter accounts suddenly appear, um, you know, promoting this cartoon, calling out Ron Kim. Um, And they were, you know, this was uh, a campaign orchestrated by folks involved with this development with real estate development. And so, you know, these are the tactics that are condoned by his campaign team and anyone else, you know, would actually call that out. If, if that was um, exposed, you would imagine that Steve Lee would say, Hey, this is not acceptable. This is not a tactic that can be used in, in a, you know, political campaign, an honest political campaign, but he's made no such statement. Um, and so, you know, and people close to him are, are promoting this, which is just, really dirty and shady. And this is not the only, you know, shady thing he's been doing. Um, He's also put out these flyers, these uh, mailers that have the face of, you know, Congresswoman Grace Meng and Councilman Peter Koo, both representatives of this district. Um, And the mailers very much suggest that he's being endorsed by them, which is not true. So when, uh, you know, when we called out Grace and Peter and, and asked them, you know, why they're endorsing Steve Lee, they both said that they didn't endorse him at all and never gave him permission to put their faces on these mailers. And yet, you know, these mailers have actually had a pretty significant impact. So a lot of voters that were undecided saw these mailers, you know, with other trusted candidates, Asian candidates, Chinese candidates in the district, um, and assumed that Steve Lee is actually being endorsed by him. So, you know, that has lent him credibility with Chinese voters who are not familiar with with the campaign and with Ron and Steve's histories. Mm-hmm. And has this uh, boost in credibility been showing itself in say like poll numbers or is it just like a general feeling you get uh, from, from, you know, crowds or something? Yes. In the last month of phone banking, this has shown an uptick with undecided voters um, supporting Steve Lee. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the problem with this kind of like shit, right? Cause once it's out there, it's, it's like, you know, if you, if like a newspaper has a bad headline, they can retract it. But once people see it, especially if your intentions are to, you know, shift public opinion, no one really cares about the retraction or it gets many mm-hmm. less uh, eyeballs and stuff. So, so my question is in, sorry, um, is Steve's intention to actually win the uh, general election or is he just trying to oust Ron so that the Republican candidate can win? And if so, who is the, well, I mean, who who's on the other side of the ticket? Well, I mean, this is New York City, so I would say in most of these districts, it would be very difficult for a Republican to win, um, you know, even if the Democrat weren't really trying. Uh, so I think we have to assume that Steve is trying to oust Ron and win the Democratic primary, which usually would mean that he would uh, also win in the general election in November. I just had a question about the whole like, Kim Jong-un thing. So what's like the angle with that? Are they calling Ron a communist or is it just pure racism like hey here's this like evil asian man here's another evil asian man like they're both scary like what was the angle 
the communist thing is definitely in there, both in the cartoon and a lot of the mailers that call Ron a socialist. Um, and so, yes, that angle is definitely there. And, and it's provocative for um, a lot of Chinese immigrants that are in this country. Um, they tend to be really opposed to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and so, you know, calling Ron a communist, um, saying that he has eliminated jobs by standing up against Amazon, saying that he has eliminated further like income to the community uh, by by standing up against real estate development. Um, they're trying to portray Ron as an anti-business candidate um, and also, yes, a communist, a socialist. Right. I have a question. How has that played out in, in Ron's district, uh, the Amazon thing? So overall, it's been a really good choice. I mean, uh, AOC announced oh, the victory on this. Yeah. So, I mean, Amazon kind of pitched out um, to all of these different cities demanding uh, all kinds of like benefits from cities to have the honor of having them uh, put their second headquarter in their city. Uh, and at the end of it, I think, you know, people like Ron and other activists that really rose up, it was a huge coalition of, of activists and community members who are like, we don't want to sell out our community. Like Amazon needs New York more than New York needs Amazon. And, um, you know, as a result, like the history has proven this to be true. I mean, Amazon has continued actually to, basically build their second headquarter or part of their second headquarter in New York, regardless of not being given millions of dollars of, of benefits. Um, you know, CEO wanted his own like helicopter launch pad. <laughs> there were a lot of things that were asked for that were just kind of ridiculous um, and also unnecessary. Like Amazon benefits from being in New York City. He, they don't need to be spoon fed and treated like royalty. Like, in fact, they need to like be respectful of community and like, most of the jobs that were going to be offered were not going to be offered to the people who are like low income, who are, you know, actually need more labor rights than the existing like Amazon factories. Like all the jobs that are there might just bring more people from outside of the state uh, to crowd out folks that are living in communities in, in, in Queens. And so overall, you know, the decision that has been made is absolutely the right one and the community has benefited from it. Well, that's good to hear. Um... Then it makes me wonder why this like Steve guy is trying to make that into a liability when it seems like it's pretty popular with the people. I mean, hopefully it backfires, but may maybe it's, it feels like it's the only sh shot he's got. You know, I don't know how informed uh, the reading public of Chinese immigrants are. They do know that Amazon didn't end up putting their second headquarters in, you know, in New York. And, you know, I think at the time there was some pushback where people were, you know, unsure if this is something that would have harmed their small businesses. Uh, there were some Chinese small business owners that said that they would have uh, loved if they could have delivered food to, you know, the, to to the Amazon employees if the base opened up. Um, there, were, there are also some people within the Chinese community that did support um, Amazon being in Queens. Um, and so I think depending on, you know, what kind of information folks are getting. And I think the Chinese community often gets really mixed um, news information, like from WeChat and, and from different, you know, ethnic media sources. And so we're not actually sure. I think a lot of people may only see um, losing out Amazon officially, though unofficially we actually do have them back. Um, they may see that as a loss. So. Oh, okay. So um, we have an anonymous source who has came, has come forward and uh, 
shown um, that he has records, NYPD uh, disciplinary records for Steve Lee from December 13th of 2012, indicating that uh, Steve um, had uh, been disciplined for domestic violence against uh, his wife at the time, now his ex-wife, he's remarried. Um, And uh, so this is previous to all of this campaigning and um, also previous to a lot of what was happening, you know, with this lawsuit, his countersuing the NYPD for mistreating him um, after he uh, whistleblown on the information that was leaked about um, his unit's activities in Flushing. So according to this source and to another one from 2018, um, Steve has a long track record of being abusive towards women in his life. Um, we are also connected to a house mom in one of these um, institutions that, that have sex work um, or they have sex workers dancing in them, um, that he had been uh, violent and had harassed you know, his ex-girlfriend who was a stripper um, and was trying to break up with him. And he had threatened her and made things very difficult. Um, so this is somebody who at the same time as saying he wants to clean up the streets of, of flushing and, and, you know, and, and eliminate prostitution, um, has shown himself to be extremely violent, um, and, you know, has participated in a unit that has extorted money, um, from sex workers. And this is just, you know, not somebody we want in political office where he has influence to continually harm, um, sex workers in this district. Has this campaign responded to any of these uh, findings and, you know, publishings and things like that? Uh, Not yet. Uh, He had a press conference on Thursday uh, at 4 p.m. in front of the Flushing Library this past Thursday, where because Chinese journalists were tipped off a little bit, they were they asked him questions that he I think was not prepared to be asked. So he did uh, admit to accepting money um, from real estate. He um, admitted to participating in the extortion of his unit. Um, so he admitted to things, I think, while he was also giving excuses for why he was doing that. Um, uh, I don't think they have an Wait, official what were those response. excuses? I don't have the exact language that was used, but, you know, he responded in a way that confirmed his involvement, even though the intention was to excuse his involvement. And I think this may be um, published in some of the Chinese newspapers that have come out since Thursday. So I can look for those articles, but I actually don't have um, a quote from him. I see. Okay. Um, Kevin, I don't know if you have... Some more things to say about like the kind of power mapping that happens when you put together all of the pieces here you have you know yeah like yeah um so so just one quick note on on that last bit about um steve lee and and um sort of just like the narrative that he's been trying to build out i think is very you know that culturally you know we have like a quote-unquote like good cop bad cop sort of um, ideal in the U.S. and Steve, I think, has very much been trying to position himself as, you know, not like one of the other cops, um, you know, as a quote-unquote whistleblower. And it's very concerning to me that, you know, while he's been doing all of this, uh, there are people in the community who have been actively harmed by his actions and who are now, you know, beginning to speak up and we're seeing that, you know, he's not a good cop after all, and he. He has been participating in some of the same actions that he's been accusing his unit of, of participating in. Um, in terms of, I think, the power dynamic, 
Well, I, I think that there um, are definitely ties between Steve and, and the real estate industry. And, you know, we are also now seeing that some of the same donors who uh, were behind the development project in Flushing, who donated to Steve, have also contributed to other politicians in Queens. And I think the, the one name that comes to mind is um, Donovan Richards, who is now a candidate for Queensborough president and who has just endorsed Steve Lee um, over sitting assembly member Ron Kim, uh, which is you know very highly unusual uh, for an elected official to endorse a challenger to another incumbent elected official. Um, and I think, you know, that that might be indicative of some of the ties um, and, and the special interests behind um, Steve Lee and, and those other other folks in Queens. Mm-hmm. Is this part of a whole like coordinated effort? I'm going to guess that whatever forces are trying to oust Ron Kim are not just going to focus on him. Have you heard of like, and you know, Ron has like friends and allies who are, you know, um, think similar things as him. Have, have they been also facing these types of primary efforts? I'm, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up. Um, you know, obviously it would be really difficult to prove that anything was coordinated, but certainly many of the progressive leaders who are members of the state assembly and members of the um, state senate here in New York are facing challenges from the right uh, this year. So, you know, obviously Ron Kim has a challenger. Um, uh, assembly member Yun Li Nyo in uh, lower Manhattan who represents Chinatown, who is actually the only... Asian American woman in the New York State Assembly um, also has a challenger who is, uh, I think, largely backed by financial uh, industry interests. Um, there are other challenges from the right all across the city. Um, I would add that also that we do have screenshots from a WeChat group chat uh, of Steve Lee supporters um, that indicate that Assemblymember Neo's challengers also in that group chat uh, of supporters of Steve Lee. Um, so, you know, potentially there could be some ties there, but, you know, without some hard evidence, I, I don't want to make accusations that I can't prove. Mm. Oh, what, what's her name, the, the challenger down in lower Manhattan? Grace Lee. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing something about that on Twitter. Like there was some smear, like uh, Grace's smear against Yulene. It's also interesting that um, <clears throat> both of these challengers are also, you know, Asian so it's like the the people, you know, if there are people behind, uh, behind these challengers who are coordinating this, like they, they know exactly how to target uh, the demographic that they're trying to uh, target. Also, it makes me think like if this is, if this is happening in New York, it's probably going on all across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, isn't a woman trying to? primary Ocasio-Cortez also Latina or something like that. Yes. Um, uh-huh. and I, I, I know, I know Rashida Tlaib is also facing a pretty tough challenge. I don't know what the, the race of her uh, opponent is, but I would not be surprised if it's also like say a minority woman. So they, they take away that angle. Um, so, you know, they, they, they mm-hmm. know what they're doing. They're not just going like, to stick an old white guy there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it also touches on, I think, some of the the issues um, that are at the core of, you know, a lot of our organizing as Asian Americans. Um, I think this Asians for Black Lives March and uh, the ways that other Asian organizers um, have called it out reflect um, a kind of split in our community between more conservative um, views 
some from our older generation of immigrants um, that are supportive of policing, that have this sort of um, model minority you know, go and get your money, um, be successful, play within the system um, view versus uh, a younger generation of Asian Americans who identify as people of color who are in support of, of you know, Black Lives Matter and, and want police accountability and want economic justice. Um, you see these sort of splits happening, you know, Early on in like 2014, when police officer Peter Liang, uh, who was an Asian cop, um, shot a black uh, teenage, a black um, Akai girly who was a young person that uh, had been killed by this this Asian police officer. And most of the Asian community at the time actually came in support of Peter Liang, saying that he's the only officer that was ever called out for police brutality, that other white officers that have also killed black people <laughs> were not held accountable. So it was, quote unquote, racism to hold this Asian cop accountable. And there's only a few like organizations, um, most notably CAV, and uh, they're leader at the time, the director, Kathy Dang, who um, stood up for a Kai Gurley and said that as Asian Americans, like we need to stand behind, you know, our, you know, black allies and also stand for like police accountability overall, like, and, you know, going further than that, you know, abolition of forces that are actually quite destructive to, um, to the lives of, of, of people in our communities. And so, I think this the split is is highlighted again in this moment, um, and of course, Black Lives Matter in two thousand twenty looks very different than Black Lives Matter in two thousand fourteen. You know, now we have banks putting it on on their banners on their windows, and you have mayors painting it on the streets. It's a different moment, and you have more Asian American groups willing to stand at least by, like rhetorically by the you know by the mantra of Black Lives Matter. But when it comes to these moments where we really have to decide like what do we mean by that do we mean police reform by you know having this good cop who actually has a terrible record claiming to be cleaning up corruption or are we actually going to listen to the organizers of the black lives matter movement and calling for defunding police like um this is where that actual litmus test is actually like you know that's that's where we have to really um a lot of asian american organizations are, are called to really like prove where they stand and and you can really only stand on one side or the other are you genuinely looking for social justice are you genuinely going to center uh the the issues that are happening to black people across the country and not only black people too, but also asian immigrants you know especially the most marginalized folks like sex workers and flushing or you know are you going to sort of superficially go with um a movement that is trending right now and you know ask for reform um and not dig deeper to actually look at what the sources of violence have been and what the what the risks are if we if we take an action that doesn't completely um and honestly um address the issues mm-hmm. just to clarify what's Ron Kim's position on like you know p- defunding police versus like police reform uh, he's very much been standing with a lot of other um, organizations in his district in calling for defunding police. In particular, last year, he sent out a letter with uh, Dan Court, uh, Jessica Ramos, Senator Ramos of Queens, um, and uh, um, Richie Torres, the councilman, um, city councilman, calling for the defunding of VICE. Uh, VICE is the unit of, within the NYPD that has been most directly harmful uh, of a lot of um 
sex workers. They, they've been accused by many migrant sex workers of also having extorted money, of having money not being returned uh, after a raid. And this is like for some of the workers there, that could be their like life savings that they have been holding on to for their families. And, you know, all of it can be taken away like in an instant. Um, and they have no way of, of asking for it back because of, you know, the manner in which it, it's it's tracked or untracked or because of their documentation or status. And so a lot of times these systematic forms of violence against people in our community is completely invisibilized. And so Ron actually um, came out way before this movement happened um, early last year after Red Canary came to him saying, we need you to speak out against uh, this violence. He, he initiated this action to like, you know, get this letter written with other state officials in city officials to defund vice. This is still an ongoing campaign as we're negotiating the city budget right now at this moment. So, Right. I was going to say, like, if you came up for like defunding the police last year before, you know, basically became everyone's like Twitter handle. I mean, that props <laughs> to him, right? We know he's genuine about it. Well, I mean, that's when we started interacting with him because, you know, we were concerned about the same stuff. And like, he was the only person speaking out about it, you know, when we were looking at uh, the Song Yang case, you know, and we were just like horrified at the reporting in the New York Times about it. That was, you know, probably like 2018 or something. And even I think even then, like, that's like when Ron started. Uh, the, that's when we became aware of these like police corruption issues impacting Asian sex workers and immigrants and migrant workers. And that's when we found Ron's uh, social media and we like reached out to him because we we're like, oh my God, finally a, a public, a person in public office who is actually speaking out and uh, doing the work on the ground that like we feel so strongly about. Yeah, and there are costs, right, for his speaking out. Like you can see how clearly with uh, with Steve Lee's campaign, it kind of lights up the map, the power map um, in local Queens politics. There's so many business interests tied to police, tied to the local press, um, and you know, Red Canary has been really active in in, in fighting against gentrification because uh, you know. We pointed out really early last year in March during a span of only a few weeks um, when uh, Peter Ku uh, took a very leading role in asking for 40th Road, um, the sort of historic red light district of Flushing, to be cleared out. And so um, six businesses on that street were cleared out in a matter of weeks. And that meant that some workers, you know, had seeing their workplaces just locked um, and not even able to get some of their things. And they were, since some of them were, were using the, their places of work also as a place of residence, that meant they were suddenly homeless as well. And there are people who have, you know, very vulnerable um, identities and, and, and lives in Flushing that were impacted by this. And simultaneously, we were calling that out because we know that the, the same developers, you know, F&T, the same, the same groups that have so much local power are also invested in cleaning up 40th Road to gentrify that street as as more and more of these luxury buildings and, and malls are being put up. Um, 40th Road, you know, as soon as you have like, you know, some some great businesses. We like, we like Chinatown, the Flushing Ice Cream Factory. We do like um, some of the, you know, like specific small business owners that have entered. But also there is this wave of, of, of real estate prospecting um, that accompanies all of this. Um, and with it is 
in, in, in so many neighborhoods, not just Flushing, with gentrification comes a wave of, of violent policing, of, you know, people being cleared from the streets, from the neighborhood who are considered undesirable or bad for the bottom line of these real estate developers. And of course, you know, street-based sex workers, people soliciting on the streets, people, you know, people who are considered undesirable, who are, you know, those are the first people that are impacted by these waves of gentrification. And so, Red Canary, you know, last year we were we were we were fighting against gentrification in line with policing because we know these two forces go hand in hand and we know how influential they are working together in local politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. I would love if Kevin can he did such amazing investigation and I can't remember like half the things that he found. So, <laughs> Kevin, if you could speak more on some of the like key kind of um, discoveries that you've been making? Um, sure. I, I think that there are sort of two um, things that, that we haven't quite talked about yet that concern me. And one of them is um, the that Steve Lee has been having these live streams where he has um, been espousing these sort of, you know, very abhorrent views and, and very insensitive views. Uh, one of them being that the protesters in Flushing and in that, that district and the community are, you know, quote unquote, looters, um, you know, crowding out the trope of protesters being outside agitators. Um, and, and, you know, he's also, you know, spoken out about abortion, um, against abortion, uh, I think extensively in one of his videos. So, so I think, you know, that, that, that those are things that we really should find unacceptable. Um, and, you know, one other thing is that in a lot of his campaign finance filings, um, there have just been some very questionable uh, line items. Uh, so, so, for instance, one of them is the fact that Steve Lee um, filed a number of quote-unquote staff dinners back in January, but didn't hire or pay any staff or consultants in the same filing period, you know, which really leaves you wondering what were those dinners for? You know, is he eating out on his donor's dime and billing it to the campaign? That, you know, really doesn't seem like something that you would expect of a public official. Uh, and it isn't something that you would expect from a, a candidate who is running an honest campaign. And, and, you know, other things in his filings as well, such as, you know, he's been paying for things, uh, looks like on his own on his own credit card and then getting reimbursed in the campaign. But, you know, those line items don't really add up. Um, so there's just, you know, a lot, a lot of very questionable activities surrounding the campaign, I think, in general. Yeah. And speaking of outside agitators, um, Whitney, who um, a Brooklyn-based community organizer, was the first to call out Steve Lee and call out the Asians for Black Lives March. Um, it's a march that is, you know, led by two Los Angeles-based actors um, who are by, you know, all meanings of the word, kind of outside agitators. Um, It's a march that didn't really meaningfully involve a lot of the community organizations that have long fought alongside, you know, black and brown organizations for for police accountability. Um, And it kind of just sprung up on Facebook, um, managed to actually get a really big following of people through Facebook who had the energy and wanted to show as Asian Americans that they were in solidarity with black lives. So they managed to actually organize, you know, a rather big march, I think, you know, 2000 people showed up um, without discrediting those people and the energy that brought 
you know, everyone is activist forward. Like, I think it's important to honor that energy and like really like for whatever reasons people came out, like it's, it's probably a good reason. And, you know, it's great that people are, are, are showing their solidarity in this way. I think it's, it was really manipulative of um, their campaign to take that energy and that you know real desire to as Asian Americans to be in solidarity with um, with other with Black Lives Matter to manipulate that into like a, a campaign event for for Steve Lee. What, what do you mean they were Los Angeles based actors? Like they were actors hired to play activists? Because I've I've seen some of some things like that happening. I don't I don't think in other cities he's hired like a- actors to play activists. Um, I think that that Steve just has some actors you know who are supporters in his camp who have been behind this this organization that he's started to uh, to run these protests. Um, uh, but I I do think that Kate, you really. Uh, hit the nail on the head there when you say manipulative. And that really is the word that describes so much of what is happening in Steve's campaign. You know, from, you know, being one of the police officers who engaged in questionable activity uh, and then trying to spin that as, um, you know, him being an honest whistleblower, you know, to uh, to everything that's happened with the endorsement fiasco where he's, you know, implied endorsements that he hasn't had um, to, you know, these protests where, He's taken the energy of, of a lot of folks who are upset by police brutality and um, sort of co-opted it for his own campaign uh, and done it in a way that is honestly probably somewhat detrimental to the movement. Uh, and I really think that all of that is very, very manipulative. I mean, he's also complicit in this broader manipulation uh, done by these uh, real estate um, investors, you know, like... They're kind of using Steve's identity and the like the the movement itself uh, to appeal to you know these um, immigrant communities such that they'll vote against their own interests. Do you have recommendations for what our listeners can do to support your community? Because like you know like we have listeners all, all across the country and uh, internationally, um, but like they have, you know, similar interests, you know, as yours and also in their own communities. So like, what are some actionable steps that uh, either they can take now to try to like raise awareness of this election for you guys or to, um, kind of like mobilize within their own communities. I think, Dana, you bring up a really good point by saying that Steve himself is also in some ways being manipulated, right? He's, he's, uh, he's part of a, a much bigger and more powerful um, system of, of, of power broking in the community. And, you know, he in some ways was chosen because the community has particular um Horphobia and like social attitudes against sex workers that this this you know costly allyship um, that Ron Kim has chosen to to support Red Canary um, that has cost him credibility in his community because a lot of immigrants are more socially conservative and um, you know don't 
don't have the time maybe to really understand some of the violence that sex workers are going through and, and the nuances of the decriminalization debate. And so um, the the opinion of a lot of people in the Flushing community, um, and this is experienced by some of the street workers who say that as they walk on the street, sometimes neighbors will, will spit on them as they're, as they're trying to walk through their own neighborhood. Like the the horophobia that exists in Flushing is, is being... Um, preyed upon in some ways um, in this campaign. Um, and the interests that are are doing this, um, that, that think of Steve Lee as a good candidate that have, you know, put in, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into his campaign um, are bigger sort of forces of power in our society. We have international developers that are, you know, Taiwan based, like F&T is, is actually, you know, like a Taiwanese and an and American company. And, and this is a class battle that is fought in multiple countries at once between the wealthier immigrants and the poor immigrants that are being pushed out to service um, these people. Right. And, and so I think, you know, in all of our neighborhoods um, and Red Canary has been really active in, in, in fighting this, we called together a, um, a conference in March to bring together anti-gentrification organizations from cities all across us um, and in Canada. Uh, these, are all Chinatown-based uh, tenant groups and anti-gentrification community groups um, that we brought together because we're at a moment where we're at a kind of crossroads where we have to decide, like, what does real estate mean to us? What is housing to us? Is it a commodity for sale? Is it, you know, is it is it a human right? <laughs> um, what does it mean for us to be able to, like, agitate together, work together to demand, um, like, basic human living conditions? Um, and who are we up against? Like, how do we see that clearly? I think what's interesting about the story of Stephen Lee in this moment, the way that he has come to public view, he has, in some ways, lit a match so that we can suddenly see in the dark all of these players um, that have long been there, that are long manipulating, um, you know, the resources and, and, and the access to power uh, inside of our communities. Um, and I think wherever you like your listeners are, like, um, I think right now we are at a moment where we have to decide together, like, what do we want this country to look like? What do we want our society to look like? Is it going to continually be one that is serving the exclusive interests of the rich um, at violent costs to the poor? Or do we take this moment of illumination to really organize together and to call out um, and fight back, even when it's really hard to do so, even when it's costly um, to take a stand? And I think Ron, in many ways, embodies some of these costs and some of these conflicts. On one hand, he wants to represent his immigrant community that has called him out for standing up for sex workers because that disagrees with their social values. And he, he sees the political costs that that sometimes has for him. And on the other hand, he's standing up with these community organizations like Minkwan, um, like Chaya, like like Red Canary Song that are saying, no, like gentrification is harming us. Gentrification is in fact like killing us, killing sex workers like Song Yang on 40th Road. Um, and, you know, there's a political cost to him not taking the party line, not obeying what all the politicians are supposed to be doing um, and and taking a stance against it. Um, and, and, you know, there's going to be a cost to all of us, I think, in choosing to take a stand rather than going with the status quo um, and standing for BLM rather than, you know, just making money and keeping our heads down. Um, and, you know, these choices are made easier when, when we all 
do it together, when we see the solidarity that is possible um, and, and know that when we work together, there is power in that. Um, even when as individuals, uh, there's a huge cost and we become um, punished for the actions that we take. Yeah, definitely. Like if, you know, if it's easy, it would have already been done already, right? And it's always easy to look back in history and be like, oh yeah, I would have done that at the time, but hey, you've had the benefit of, of history uh, to to make its judgment. So, you know, when you're actually in the present, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. We, we hope your listeners will... Um well, we'll speak about sex worker rights uh, in a more enlightened way, especially with uh, elders in the community, with immigrants um, uh, in our own, you know, ethnic presses and in our own neighborhoods. I think these conversations uh, that trigger social change really often happen like person by person. And so, like, we really hope that, you know, your listeners will will think about some of these issues and um, talk to their family members about it. Yeah, for sure. And like just for the coming election on Tuesday, um, if anybody has uh, relatives, friends or relatives in Flushing or in New York in general, like please share this content. And we also have an article that's also coming out today on this uh, on on the same issue. So do do what you can wherever you can, please. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much, Kevin. I I think that's a great way to to end this pod on a on a you know strong you know hopeful uh, note, telling people that you know the power is within your hands. Um, if there's there could be a red canary song near where you live, and if there isn't, you know go create one. No, uh, you know what's stopping you? So I, I just want to say thank you again, and for our listeners, please tune in uh, soon again. We'll we'll have another episode. And Kate and Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We'll hope to see you again real soon. Thank you so much, Chris and Diana, for putting this together. All right. right, Thanks, everyone. Take care. Okay. Later, all. Bye.